Hi, I'm Heather Knight, and this is the Surviving to Thriving podcast. One in four women will experience severe physical violence by an intimate partner in their lifetime. We're going to discuss the taboo topic of domestic violence and the tools our thrivers have used to succeed in life. We want you to know that you are not alone in this fight. Please keep listening if you or anyone you know has been impacted by domestic violence. Before we get into today's episode, I would like to thank our sponsor, Night Protection Services for making this podcast possible and all the support they provide our cause. Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of Surviving to Thriving. Today I have with me Elizabeth Pampalone. She is an engaging speaker, successful entrepreneur, master networker, and trusted business advisor with over 20 years of experience. Her firm, Beyond the Cause Inc., helps overwhelmed business owners and burnt out nonprofit directors to achieve success and freedom through the power of absolute marketing. Elizabeth, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Of course. So I always try to get a little bit of background from guests that come on. I think it gives just substance and and something for the listeners to uh, grab a hold of. So what was it like growing up for you? I was actually homeschooled until the 12th grade, until I graduated and I graduated early. So I ended up taking a gap year, but yeah, I was, I was homeschooled the whole time. I didn't even go to a regular school like ever. Wow. So were you homeschooled in the sense that you, your parents actually taught you or did you go through like an unschooling type of um, co-op? No, we, we had, we did go to some co-ops like, you know, occasionally there would be like a class here or there. My mom would say, oh, that's a good class, you know, but no, we were taught at home. My mom even did the whole, like when I was in high school, she ordered the fetal pig and we had to dissect it. Like, I mean, it was, it was like the real deal. But, yeah. but yeah, we, and then I had uh, four younger siblings as well. So I ended up helping with them and, and teaching them some and, you know, kind of helping manage all of that with my mom as well. Wow. That is incredible. So I know that earlier we talked and um, I let you know that my husband was homeschooled, but he did like the online type of learning and like, he really just taught himself. His mom was working full time and, and, you know, was not a teacher in the sense of, you know, ac- academics and whatnot. So he had to teach himself everything. So I think it's always interesting for people to know that there are different types of homeschooling out there and not everybody has the same experience while homeschooling. Absolutely. I had one of my friends there, they were more on the unschooling side. It was like, oh, it's a beautiful day. Look at those clouds, weather, you know? <laughs> right. <laughs> and she grew up and she was fine-ish, but you know, she never like started her own business or, you know, she never took those extra steps to go to college. Even I think she just kind of got her GED and was like, that's fine. But my parents, you know, we, we had to go through a program that we did at home and they taught us at home through high school, but it was when we had to send in stuff and you actually got a diploma from a real school. So technically, even though I never lived there or have you never been to Maine, I graduated from a high school in Maine. (laughs) Wow. Okay. Yeah. So I was going to ask you like, GED versus an actual high school diploma, it, what what you had and how you got that. Yeah, so um, that was just a program that my parents found, and it was it's a North Atlantic Regional High School. That's what it says on my diploma. It's it's from Maine, and I basically just would send them. They had requirements. You would send your work in in these binders, and it was you know just pages of like if you were doing math or geometry or algebra or whatever you would send in pages, like here's examples of work, here's examples of tests, and they were graded, you know, that kind of thing. They had project requirements that you had to fulfill, electives, history, you know, they had that typical high school, like here's what a high school student would know and do, 
So then you have to fulfill those. I had PE, I had, I had to learn like to knit and cook and like those kind of things. And we had people that were, we knew like my grandparents and some, you know, friends that we knew would come in and like teach different classes so that we could say, yeah, this instructor signed off, you know, that kind of thing. So it was, it was pretty an interesting high school was probably the most interesting because we did so much more different stuff. We actually worked at a radio station, a newspaper. Me and my sister did everything together. Radio station, we were DJs. We, we worked at a newspaper. We wrote articles. We were like reporters. I mean, we, we did so much during high school. It's crazy. Wow, that is amazing and sounds so much more fun than my high school experience, <laughs> for sure. So I just kind of want to break the stigma of homeschooling almost. Uh, a lot of people think that it's you grow up socially awkward. You don't know how to be successful in life. You don't know how to act in a normal situation. So how did your parents integrate that socialization portion of what people get in public school? Well, we did have groups that we went to. There's so many things even then, you know, that were popping up and a lot of people were homeschooling. I mean, homeschooling has been around forever, but really it had a resurgence in like the seventies. And I started, you know, my schooling career when I was in like in 1990. So my parents started then, and, and it was still had its own little like stigma. We would go places with my mom, like, you know, during the day, during a school day and go to the store, go to, you know, wherever, like we would just be on vacation. Sometimes we would just take vacations in the middle of the school year because we would just work into the summer, you know, it just didn't matter. And so they'd be like, well, why are they in school? And you know, what about their socialization? And she would get this third degree and she was like, they're fine. Like just leave us alone, you know? Right. But there were so many things that we did. I mean, my mom actually created a group for us called the Lace Club and it was called Let's All Come Explore. And we were fascinated and infatuated with American Girl dolls. We all, like, my friends had them, I had them. We, we just loved them. We all bought them with our own money. We saved up our birthday money to buy. I mean, it was like, we didn't just weren't given them. I mean, we had to like work for them. So we were like really in love with these dolls. And they ended up having these programs that the, the company put out before they were bought by Mattel. And we wrote the letters to the owner of the company and we had her involved in our group and we would put on all the plays and we would do all the cooking from all the cookbooks and when the crafts from the craft books. And we literally just took all the stuff that they provided and like made this group. And, and by the end of the group, it was ran for like three or four years. And we had over like 200 girls in this group. Wow. So, I mean, just, just something to like, you know, we weren't in lacking for any of those kind of things at all. I mean, we had our own interests and our own ways of like going out there and being in, you know, in the community. And the library was also important because they had a ton of classes. And I went to a lot of the classes for adults. Like they had one on HTML, which is how I got my start with web designing. I was 14, 13, 14 years old. I was like, mom, take me to this class. I was in there, the youngest kid, there was nobody else my age there. It was all these adults. They had to be there for work, their business, you know, whatever. They were just like, oh, HTML, uh. And I'm like, man, dude, this is cool. Like, you guys are, what's wrong with you? This is fun. And it just was those kind of things that, you know, there's no, there's no space for that there was like, you know, where we were just like awkward and at home and never saw anybody. And we also right. had a ton of friends that, you know, I would say friends people in our neighborhood that were like older people, they would walk, we would be outside playing, you know, and we would talk to them for like hours. And then we'd had all these like adult friends and we were kids, but we had, we read a lot of books and we had good vocabulary and we, you know, because we had been like educated, but not in this like snooty way, just we had a lot of knowledge and a lot of book learning, I guess. And so when we would talk to adults, it, they, they were like, oh my gosh, these kids are so smart. And they actually have you know, interesting things to say about 
history or, you know, whatever, you know. So it was just very interesting just how it all evolved. But yeah, we had a lot of, a lot of socialization in that time period. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> which is, you know, always key for anything, no matter where you are, what, what yeah. how you grow up. So I found it really interesting that you went in and you took these classes. I was going to ask you, you know, how you decided how you wanted or where you wanted to go to college, what you wanted to study in college. And then also ask you, did you feel like you were more prepared to make that life decision, right? So we've got these 18 year olds that have no clue what they want to do in life, are thrust into education, higher education, told that they have to go to college, they have to do this, and you have to pick a major. And then they end up wasting $100,000 because they don't actually want to do that. They just picked something. So do you felt like you were more prepared because you had all of these different things that you could try before going to college? Like you could say, oh, I want to try cooking class today. I want to go to HTML. I want to, you know, go take a science class and see if I like science. Do you think that that helped you more prepare more for picking a degree in college? Yes, I think it really did. You know, like I said, we worked at the newspaper. I wanted to be a writer. I wanted to write books, you know, and, and that was something that after I started doing the newspaper thing, it was like, well, this is where your English degree leads you, you know? (laughs) And, and I didn't really want to do that. And we were, we worked for the radio station. We were, you know, kid DJs for a while and that was fun, but I knew that that would not be something I would want to do all day, every day. I did 4-H too, which is, you know, farming and like all that kind of stuff, sewing and all that. And I loved that, but it wasn't what I wanted to do. And so I think having all those years of being able to try so many different things, it just gave me this opportunity to say yes, no, yes, no, yes, no. And then finally pick something. And when I did pick something, programming was not a really a big thing in 2000. I mean, it was, it was out there. People did it but my parents didn't know anybody who did it. You know, like it wasn't, they like, oh yeah, so-and-so is very successful, you know? And so when I told them this is what I wanted to go to college for, they were like, oh my gosh, are you sure? Like, this is going to make you any money. And they, they were like, why don't you become like a nurse or a teacher? Or like the things that they understood that were, well, this is how you make money. And I got one of those salary books at the library because I was always at the library. And it's just a big, thick book. They print it every year. And it says this, type of job gets this kind of salary average. And now you can look that up on like Glassdoor indeed. Like you can right. <laughs> find that information anywhere. But I was like, no, I gotta get the book. And you know, cause the internet was so young then. And so I, I showed it to my look says like 50,000 or like 60,000. Like that was the range. And they were like, okay, okay. That sounds good. You know? And even then, you know, that really isn't a lot of money compared to what I make now. You know, like it's just kind of right. interesting. Like how I started like, Oh look, $60,000. I'll be fine. You know? Right. And they were like, fine. And the program that I went into was only a two-year program. I knew I didn't want to waste four years. I knew I didn't want to become, you know, so proficient. I knew that a lot of things, and just from, from being in, out in the world, as far as like doing all these little odd jobs as a kid, I knew that you don't really use all of your degree. You actually learn more on the job than you do in your degree. I kind of had gathered that from what people had said and what I had overheard in conversations. And so I was like, two years is, a, I mean, four years is a waste, two years I can handle. I took a gap year. I saved up some money. I had to pay for it myself. My parents did help me for a couple of uh, semesters. Uh, we had quarters back then, but I, I tried to mostly pay for it myself. I lived with them. So I did have that, you know, help. But once I was done, I just went into a software development job because I didn't know what to do after that. You know, I had had all this experience, got the degree and it was like, okay, now what do I do? I guess I get a job. 
And the job lasted about two years because, or about a year and a half because during that time I also got married. And so I was 20 years old. I had just gotten married. I had gotten my job, you know, recently ish. And at three months after we got married, my husband left and he filed for divorce. So I was just like, wait, what? And my, my little homeschool brain, <laughs> my little emotionally sheltered life that I had kind of led, you know, having parents that stay together and, you know, not really any of our friends had divorced parents. Like it was just this sheltered emotional life. I just couldn't handle it. I didn't know what to do. And I pretty much fell apart. I lost everything, my, my home that we had gotten together. I had my car, but the car that we shared that was his car, you know, he took his car, like everything was separated. Everything was, you know, I didn't have any furniture because he brought furniture, you know, like all those things that you would think like a house, you, you get them together. A lot of it was his stuff and he just took it with him. And I was left with a car, a bed, and some of my, like my clothes, my belongings. And that was about it. And I had to move back in with my parents. I was basically homeless and <laughs> I had to move back in with them. And I really had this feeling of, and this was definitely, someone mentioned the other day what this was. And I really was like, yes, this is totally it. Like my ego felt like the big Alice in the little house where she shoots her arms out the windows and her legs out the doors and windows because she's so big. And this little house is like crushing her. Yeah. And she's just outgrowing, outgrowing it. And going back home after have been married and done, you know, working and all these things. Now I felt like big Alice in the little house. And uh, I, I just kept telling them like, well, don't put my bed together. Just put my mattress on the floor. I'll be gone soon. You know? And while my parents knew it was temporary, they knew I wouldn't stay with them forever. I wasn't that kind of person, but they knew at that time that that wasn't going to be quick. It was a very devastating thing. It was what I had wanted my whole life to be married. It was my whole goal was get a degree in case you need it, you know, not go have some major career because you want it. I wanted to be married. I wanted to have kids. That was my plan. Right. And so now I have this degree. I'm divorced. We moved to a completely new state, like 1500 miles away. And for where I grew up and where I was married and all that. And I was just in this little room. And I was in the den because my parents hadn't planned on me coming <laughs> with them. <laughs> so I was in the den, which had glass doors. And I felt like a fish in a fishbowl. It was very like, and so I ended up getting like paper and like covering my glass doors and everything. But it was just that, that whole, all these things just started like, well, see, look at this and look at this. You know, all those emotional pieces were just kind of like poking me all the time. And so I was with my parents and I was helping them unpack everything and get settled and you know, looking for jobs. And I was either overqualified or underqualified because I only had a two-year degree. So I was stuck. Right. And my mom said, you know what? You're going to have to just do something that you can do. And you need to pick two things you like and just make a job. And I was like, well, it's going to be funny, but I like old people and computers. So that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to find where those old people are. And if there's any computers involved, I'm going to figure that out. And I started calling senior centers in the area. There's so many of them. And I was like, hey, do you have a computer lab? And this was in the time of desktops. You know, we were, this is right. totally desktop land. And they said, yeah, we have uh, 10 computers and we teach classes here. And I said, okay, do you have a teacher? Well, no, our teacher just quit or so-and-so's on maternity leave or, you know, those kind of things were coming up. And I'll say, well, you know what? How much do you pay? 
And the first person was like, we pay $15 an hour, but only when you're teaching. Like, fine, I'll take it. 30 bucks is more, $30 more than I had 10 minutes ago. <laughs> right. <laughs> so I taught two hour classes. I had to drive there. It was like 30, 40 minutes away. I had to have all my own materials created. I didn't even care what I was making per hour. Like if you actually broke it down, I was probably making like $2 an hour, but I had a job. I had a job that I liked. I had a job that I could control, that I could manipulate how I wanted it. I could set my own schedule. And uh, those were things, control was the thing I didn't have. From all the things that happened to me, everything was out of my control. And this was something, you know, not in like a possessive way, but I had control over this part of my life. I didn't have control of where I lived because I didn't have any way to make that happen. I didn't have control of, you know, anything else, but this I did. And I really just focused on it and put everything into it. And people started saying, well, my computer doesn't do this. Like we were in class. And I would say, oh, well, maybe if you bring your computer in, but it was all desktops. So they're right. like, I'm not going to lug it in here, you know? <laughs> I said, well, fine. I will come to your house and fix your computer. And I started doing that. And I, I, people are like, oh my gosh, you went by yourself. And it, you know, in today's day and age, that was like 13 years ago. I kind of look back at it and go, oh my gosh, I did that. But I was 20 and I didn't, I didn't think about it. But at the same time, in the back of my mind at that time, I was like, you know, if something did happen, I'm pretty sure I could outrun them. So <laughs> I think we're good. Like, I'll be fine. I, I can run fast. And I had some very interesting experiences and encounters during all that. But that business served me and my, my new family, my subsequent family, you know, for 10 years. So it was a really good business. Wow, that's incredible. I kind of want to backtrack a little bit and talk about what steps you took to kind of get in that mindset of, okay, I can't sit here and think about this divorce. I have to move on. I have to, you know, start rebuilding my life. How did you go from being, like you said, completely devastated to, all right, today I'm getting up, I'm going to work and I'm going to start my own business. I did go through one of the recovery programs for divorce and that was helpful even though at the time when I was sitting there, I remember thinking, oh, these people don't even know what I'm dealing with. You know, like they, they had all been through divorce. They'd all been there, done that. They were teaching the class, talking about how your emotions are like an onion and like all these things that are like, you know, cliched. You know, there's five, there's denial and then there's anger and all these things. And I was just like, oh, this is so boring. I just want to be done with this. And one of the things that, one of the pieces of advice that they gave during that, and, and someone had specifically said it to me, which totally helped me. And, and I, I use this even now when I get to that point of being really upset or having something really devastating happen. They said, when that emotion comes over you, and especially with divorce, this, this happened so much. I would just have these waves of emotion. Like, how could he have done that? How could this have happened? How could I have been so naive? Or just those, those huge doubts of like, what was I thinking? You know, why didn't I see that? You know, and then those, also those thoughts of, I really did love him, but was it real on his side? You know, all those things. And so their advice to me was when those waves of emotion come over you, you have to lean into them. And you don't always have the opportunity to do that. You might not be in a place or a position to do that. But there would be times I would be driving in my car and I would just get so angry and I would just be thinking about something that happened, some instance, some memory, and I would just get so angry. And I told them this, I was like, I can't just, what am I going to do? And she's like, pull over. She's like, pull over, get out, 
kick the tires, punch something. Like, I don't know, do something, keep a pillow in your car, hold it over your face and scream as loud as you can. Like, she's like, you have to let that out. You have to get that out of you. Because if you just think about it and then stuff it and move on, that will not serve you at all. And so she's like, if you feel like crying, if you feel like screaming, if you feel like cursing them out, if it doesn't matter, whatever you have that emotion, excuse yourself from wherever you are and go and do that. And that was huge for me because if I hadn't done that, I would still be dealing with some of those things. I mean, I still deal with those things. It's scars, you know, right. But that, that really helped me to move past some of that. And my parents didn't know what to do with me at that point. They were just like, this girl's a mess. She, I don't know how to help her, you know, and they really were worried, but it took me about a year a year to a year and a half of being really angry and just being really hurt and broken. But that was something that really, really helped me. And of course, you know, I have my faith and, um, you know, I'm a Christian and that was huge for me as well. But on a practical, you know, I've prayed, I don't, you know, I, I believe that my life will get better. I believe that the Lord wants something He's going to use this for something for me. But beyond all that, <laughs> like the practical side of this is happening right now. It's physically affecting me. It's emotionally affecting me and it's mentally affecting everything else I do. You know, how do I like get rid of that? How do I release it? And so that, that was huge for me. Definitely. Did you have like that one person in your life that kind of pushed you towards, you know, doing that? Or did you really rely on your faith and kind of do it on your own? My parents were really helpful and they tried to, you know, they, they had a couple times where they were like, snap out of it. You can't dwell on this, you know? And because they were around me the most, they saw a lot of it, you know, and they were that person. I also had a few friends that I would call and we would have these two hour conversations and they would just, you know, you can't beat yourself up about this. And, you know, they kind of would help me to walk through some of those negative thoughts and emotions that I had towards myself for not seeing that or not realizing this, or why was I so dumb? I didn't know, you know, those kind of things. And they just really were like, you couldn't have known. And, and they really would help me with relating the, those things to my faith and how that was actually integrated as part of what my journey was, even though at the time it felt like, how could this even possibly be part of it? And, you know, going through something like that and sitting here and talking about it with you, my whole thing in my life, you know, from the time that happened until even now, I say to myself, if, if I talk to you about this now and one person is like, I did that technique she talked about and, and now I, I have that changed my life or just hearing her story made me realize that I, all those feelings I had were just not just mine or, you know, whatever that one person, even the smallest little thing that they're able to get out of whatever I say from that horrible thing that happened to me that was why that happened. And I've been able to tell the story multiple times and, you know, and I was encouraged by people to tell the story, even though it didn't, it just was like, well, it's just a story. It's not like it, it was that horrible. I mean, it kind of was, but in, in this grand scheme of things, nobody died, you know, and, but being able to be encouraged to tell that really also helped me to get over it as well, because it wasn't just me and it's not just for me that those things happened. It's for others. It's for the people who will go through that next. And I've had friends go through divorce and I've, I've been there with them and encouraged them 
and been able to do the things that other people did for me for them that really helped. So, so even if it's just one person that gets something out of it, then that was the whole reason. And at the time, of course, you don't see that, but the, it does come around full circle to that point. Definitely. I a hundred percent agree with everything you just said. So we talked a little bit about your mindset of just being able to move past what happened and not, I don't, I don't like saying move past, but like getting through and yeah. overcoming that um, because it's, you never get past it. I don't think, you know, it's always no. going to be a part <laughs> of you. Right. But you did that, but being an entrepreneur takes an, a whole completely different mindset, right? Not everybody yeah. can be an entrepreneur. It is long grueling hours. It's annoyance. It's frustration. It's all of these different things that, you know, if you're not prepared for it, you're going to fail as an entrepreneur. So how did you get into that mindset after having to rebuild just your personal mindset of personal growth? One of the things that my mom said to me um, when we were growing up, she would say this whenever we would get upset. And also, especially during when I was living with them, you know, post, post divorce, post marriage was this is temporary. And I think that has been my, my main mantra, I guess, through everything, even into going through the divorce that my anger was temporary. My sadness was temporary. Uh, my loneliness was temporary. All those things were temporary. And in entrepreneurship, that's how I think of everything. This business I have now is temporary. And not to say that I'm trying to be a fly by night person and just be like, oh, it's temporary. I'll see you next week. Oh, maybe not. You know, that kind of thing. But that this all is temporary. And as an entrepreneur, if you fail at something, it's temporary. It wasn't meant to last. It wasn't meant to go further than it did. You, you might've lost some money on it, but you losing money is temporary. You can make more and having money and being successful and having excess. It's also temporary. You could lose everything and I have lost everything. And so, so those kind of, you know, that, that mantra, that, that just that sentence, this is temporary is good to motivate you to move forward so that you can do more. And you can, you know, save more money, make more money, whatever it is your goal is. But it's also helpful when you get into those things where it's like, well, I failed. Okay, well, that's temporary. It was meant to be temporary. You need, you were meant to do something else. You were meant to move on to something else, or it was meant to be a stepping stone to something greater. So I think that the mindset that I have for that is in a positive way, not in a negative way, is that it's temporary. Definitely. I, as you were saying that, it brought me back to when my husband and I, when we first met and were dating and he introduced me to his family for the first time and I got the third degree, of course, you yeah. know, <laughs> and his mom was like, so what are your intentions with my son? You know, that, that first, <laughs> as I'm the younger one, he's older, he's been, you know, through everything and he's, you know, been married, divorced already, all that stuff. So it was funny. Cause I was like, well, I, I really live day to day, right? I don't have intentions, right? I don't foresee this not working out, but mm -hmm. at the same time, I'm not going to say, you know, we've been dating for three months. My intention is to get married, have a family and do all this when I don't even keep clothes more than three months. Right. So yeah. like, so it's like, that's a huge decision. Like, I'm glad to be meeting you guys, but I don't know. So now everything is like, Oh, remember you just live day to day. Like it's a joke and they you know, they, they don't mean it, you know, mean, but yes, 
I a hundred percent, that's how I live my life is like, this is temporary. This is not, you know, tomorrow, everything could change. Something could happen that could completely change your entire trajectory in life. And knowing that helps you, it's still going to suck, you know, well, depending, it could be really good, but you know, if it's really (laughs) bad, it could really suck. But at least knowing and preparing your mind for that is something that I think everybody should do, even if you're not an entrepreneur, because yeah, you could have a nine to five and then the next day not have a nine to five. And that's temporary. You know, you saying that it's temporary, that it could suck. The sucking is temporary too. Right. (laughs) Like it's going to end. It's not going to be this way forever. And, and even if it's something where you're like, well, what if it's something, you know, I always people permanent. What if it's something permanent? You know, what if you lose your leg? You're not going to get it back. That's not temporary. No, but how you get around is temporary. How you adjust to that, how you adapt to that is temporary. And then if you did lose your leg and let's say you get a prosthetic or you don't, or you learn to use a cane, you learn like there's, there's always the, the piece, you know, the sections of these time sections are, are temporary. It'll be this time period and then this time period and then this time period and then this time period. So in like with this COVID thing that has been, I mean, some of for thing for people, some of that is, has been temporary, you know, businesses have closed, they're not reopening, you know, some of them have fired all their people. They're not able to rehire them. Like you said, they had a nine to five. Now they don't. But those things, if you have a mindset to say, I can, I'm not going to fix this. I'm not going to put it back the way it was, but I'm going to do something else. So for example, when, when a bunch of people started closing and everything was closing down, I was telling my clients, like, look, you're not going to be able to do things the same right now. And it might be a week. It might be a month. It might be a year, but you have to figure out how that's going to work. And I would brainstorm with them on, you know, maybe you can't sell your stuff the same way, but what else can you do that's similar, that's still in your, your, your lane, you know, but do something that is, could be temporary for you. It could be great and it could last forever, but it could also just be temporary. And there's so many things that people can do. And it, you know, I always like to have like a specific example, but it's hard to like create one out of thin air, but, (laughs) but like where people are able to. Oh, I know which one. Uh, I had a hairdresser and he was like, well, we can't color people's hair and they're, they, they, you know, they need their roots touched up and all this stuff. And he's like, something is better than nothing. So he would go into the salon, mix their color for them. Cause that's one of the big jobs that they do is they mix color really specifically. Right. They would mix the color. They would drive it to their client's house. Then they would do a zoom video call and help the client apply it. Wow. And like, like they would show them in the mirror and like, okay, do this. Yeah. Just take that little section. And, and it was like, it was gave people something to do, (laughs) right? (laughs) you know, it gave them some sense of like normalcy as far as, okay, my hair doesn't look crazy. Like I'm not totally gray. And then like, you know, brown or whatever. And it gave them like, wow, this, you know, kind of appreciation for the hairdresser that, wow, this is a hard job. (laughs) Right. (laughs) And just like all these things, but is he doing that now? No, is his salon's open. He's back to normal and people are coming in and they're doing appointments and he's booked solid, you know? So that kind of thing, you know, he just was like, I got to do something. And he figured it out and he did it. And it did it. Did every client buy? No. Did every client take him up on it? No, but he, he did something, he made an effort and it was temporary. And now he's back to doing what he did before. So Definitely. I love that. And I'm glad I was going to bring up COVID and, and how that is temporary. So yes, definitely. Like 
this is all, all of it, everything is temporary and you just have to learn to adapt to your temporary. Yeah. If you or anyone you know has been victimized by domestic violence, please reach out to us for resources and ways our organization can help you. You can find us on social media at 2thrivingatl, T-O thriving ATL, or online at 2thriving.org.